You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. You know, it's a shame that goes on outside of the gospel, the hostility that comes between generations. Um, I loved, you know, as, as Sophie shared, you know, being a Generation Z person uh, in the mix of probably, I'm guessing, most of us are millennials, a few of us silent generation, baby boomers included, um, within the family of God, where there is usually division outside of the gospel, there's honor and uh, the lifting up in the building of family. And so in this room today uh, is probably about five generations. Um, I have them on the screen with that little chart. Um, all the generations are defined by major historical and, and uh and political events that happened during basically the 20 years when uh, each generation is coming of age. And so, for example, the baby boomer generation, which isn't on the slide there, was largely defined by World War II and uh, the era of good feelings and the rise of the United States as, as a national power or international power. After that came uh, out of the boomer uh, generation was the bus generation. Because of birth control, there wasn't as many babies to go around. And probably the thing that defined that generation the most was the access to education. Uh, and uh, uh, higher education and the, and the priority of that, um, which isn't as much as a priority for us in, in, in current um, time periods. But, uh, but in the 60s and the 70s, if you were coming up in the 60s and 70s, that happened to find Generation X. Uh, most of us, including myself, born uh, in the 80s and 90s, uh, were uh, basically raised and defined by cable television, <laughs> by MTV. And um, and uh, all of the kind of entertainment and pop culture that uh, we were all raised up on, whether it be Nintendo or Friends or uh, Xbox or Mortal Kombat or wherever that may be. Uh, following us is Generation Z, people that were born uh, after 2000. The thing that has defined Generation Z more than any other thing is the phone, is the smartphone. They, they, uh, I can remember getting my first iPhone at 26 and being amazed by all those bells and whistles and the GPS and the ability to search and track and shop online at a moment's notice. The uh, Generation Z doesn't know a time without that, doesn't know an an existence without the ability to have smartphone in their hand. And then lastly, Generation Alpha, which I guess we have a whole other generation that's coming up after Generation Z. We're not quite sure exactly. Maybe COVID or something is going to to mark them. But um, the headlines read, you know, today, whether you know it or not, because time flies faster than you think, that um, Generation Z is, is no longer babies. Generation Z are leaders, and Generation Z is turning 20, and they are now not just sitting in our youth groups or they're not just sitting in our classrooms. They're going to be leading our small groups and leading our worship sets and leading our churches and leading our families. Generation Z is coming into adulthood, and they have distinctive things about them that are different from the millennial generation. Uh, first and foremost, Generation Z uh, in a poll you know, in, in high school or in college polls for 70% or more uh, desire to be entrepreneurs in their life desire to forge new pathways and make things that aren't existing yet. Generation Z, something about their coming of age, lends itself more towards entrepreneurialism. Number two, that they, they, uh, they do desire and want to build for stability, that they actually have more in their bank account than most millennials do. Uh, maybe some of us, maybe not all of us. Um, and that they're more likely to save and spend and be, be more conservative. And lastly, in Generation Z, there is more and more of an emphasis than ever before on mental health. Uh, because... Uh, the sad fact remains that more than any other generation, um, Generation Z has and will be contending with more and more um, mental unhealth, anxiety, and depression. 
And uh, just a couple of statistics that will be on the screen there. Um, for example, uh, in, in today's day and age, America, the United States, the country we live in, uh, is now the most anxious uh, country in the world. Uh, in the United States, um, stress-related ailments have cost the nation $300 billion a year in medical bills and lost productivity. Americans have doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications like Xanax and Valium. Um, the second statistic I had on the screen there uh, is that this affects children very deeply in the sense that anxiety disorders affect one in four children between ages 13 to 18, which is, uh, has a dramatic impact on things like focus and, um, and uh, confidence and, and esteem in these, in these things. And that uh, on, on a study would show by the psychologist uh, Robert Leahy, uh, and my last statistic there on the screen, that the average child today, believe it or not, exhibits the same levels of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. And so in looking into um, the generation that's, that's coming up under us, or the generation that is, that is uh, kind of taking the baton uh, of leadership in the next couple of decades, uh, I was moved, certainly from some of this reading, from uh, a kind of misunderstanding um, towards uh, you know the younger people that I have in my life to a great deal of empathy uh, because um, I own a phone and I could only imagine what it's like to grow up only knowing uh, and and revolving around a phone. You know the phone uh, it says uh, statistically sends us about four thousand messages a day that we're supposed to be interpreting on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram, which is far more than we're supposed to be interpreting. And nonetheless, these messages are being sent at a clip of about seven seconds. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, at each message, that in seven seconds or less, um, we are being taught and sold and bought and corralled. And in, in between all of these things, the hierarchy of meaning and purpose is all uh, bent, upon, bent around things like likes and retweets and, 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 uh, and popularity that happens um, on social media. And, um, and so all that to say this, all of those statistics to say this, that as we, uh, as Christians in the church, are to live and to lead in this generation, the reality is, is that leading and living in this generation is not going to be about avoiding anxiety. It's about walking through anxiety and discipling through uh, what ultimately is becoming a culture of panic and a culture of anxiety uh, that goes on our screens and outside of our windows. And so uh, I don't know if you guys keep up with uh, John Mark Comer uh, from Bridgetown Church. Uh, he has a phrase that he uses a lot in, in his messages that um, I've been chewing on a lot. And that is the phrase, the non-anxious presence. Um, he talks a lot about uh, this guy, um, uh, Sigmund, or no, uh, Edmund Friedman. And Edmund Friedman kind of um, paints out this picture uh, that I think gives some shape to some of our experiences on a day-to-day basis on the screen or in public that uh, Edmund Friedman speaks to the psychologist about that we live in a culture of uh, reactivity, that instead of uh, making observations and uh, being thoughtful and mindful about what's going on inside of us, uh, we are quick to react, and that um, the algorithms that are on our phones that separate us into different wings of society and cultures and subcultures create a herding instinct, whereas they're not just selling us you know, on the screen you know, products anymore, they're selling us entire identities and ways of life. And that herding instinct uh, does not lead, obviously, to self-reflection and consideration and deep um, thought, actually leads us to quick thought, speed, and blame displacement. Uh, a quick fix mentality, and then ultimately to number five, lack, lack of well-defined leadership. In other words, we kind of get the leaders that we're looking for, and the leaders continue to move along this cycle of outrage that can happen all around us. Uh, John Mark Comer 
um, in, in some of his, you know, following the way practices on the site and in some of his sermons, uh, coins this term, the non-anxious presence. In other words, um, to lead and to live and to make disciples in this type of a scenario will not um, just be about not being anxious, but being anti-anxious, to being uh, not just fragilely peaceful, but resiliently peaceful. All those things to say um, that uh, walking towards the future and not away from it, walking into the, into the current reality and leading and living alongside um, people that are 10 and 20 and 30 and 40, it'd be important that we would continually remind ourselves of the message, message of the gospel in this. Um, and it comes out of John 14. I'm going to read this passage in a moment. But the truth of the gospel is this, that if you um, here today are in Christ and uh, you are... You are brought into the inheritance and the future of Christ. If you are a Christian following Jesus, then peace is not something that you need to go and chase. Peace is something that you have. It's really critical to know this because everything in our world is going to promise us peace and sell us peace and to agitate us into restlessness so that peace can be... um, hung out in front of us, you know, like a carrot on a stick. But the truth of the gospel is this, is that Christians do not need to get, keep, or make peace because they already have it in Jesus. This is what John 14 says. It says John 14, verse 25 to his disciples before he go, Jesus says, all this I've spoken while I was still with you, but the advocate, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father has sent in my name will teach you the things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. This is why you have peace in your heart, because you have the person of Jesus in your heart, because you have the Holy Spirit. Then he says this in verse 27, peace I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. If you have a thought that is not yielded and abiding in the truth of peace, then you need a new thought if you're a Christian, because that thought has not come from Jesus. Jesus Jesus came, he resurrected, he's coming back, and in his wake... He did not give you fear. He gave you peace. And verse 27 says, it's the peace that you have, peace of Jesus. And he says, I left it with you, so it can't be lost. My peace I give you, and I don't give it to you as the world gives it to you. Do not let your heart be tr- hearts be troubled, and do not, do not be afraid. And so the, the good news, bad news scenario of all this is if in 2022, somewhere along the lines, maybe it was, you know, September, October, November, if you lost your peace, it wasn't your peace to begin with. If somewhere along the line, because of some political climate or because of some personal broken relationship happened or because something you thought was true became untrue, and because of that, you lost your peace, that's bad news. But here's the good news. It wasn't real peace to begin with because you don't have a peace that comes from the world. You have a peace that comes from Jesus. And so you don't need to buy peace or get peace or corral peace or maintain peace because you have it. And the peace rests on you. And so we should ask ourselves as we get into this this Christmas passage this morning, why shepherds? He could have picked mechanics. He could have picked actors. He could have picked poets or prophets. Like He decides outside of the intimate royal family of Mary, Joseph, and Elizabeth that he's going to go and encounter shepherds. And the only answer that I can come up with, with why we're having shepherds being some of the original audience to the nativity, is that he's revealing himself to shepherds because God is a shepherd. And then ultimately, we're sheep. And that's not an insult to you or me. 
Uh, being a sheep doesn't mean you're dumb. It just means you're needy. Like, like if you're, if you make, you know, six figures a year, but you lost your keys, it doesn't mean you're dumb. It just means that you're a human being and you're needy. And that's the way that you're made. If you made a decision this week because you were hungry, angry, or tired, got some sleep, ate a Hot Pocket, and talked to a friend and, and did better, it doesn't make you dumb. It just makes you a sheep. Because you're not ultimately a shepherd. You're a sheep. It doesn't mean you're dumb. You're just, you're just in need of a shepherd. And so the reason why he's come to us today is because he, he's, he's a shepherd and, and we're sheep. And so there's this scene we're going to read in, in the passage. It reminds me of uh, one of my favorite, uh, well, it's my only favorite musical, Hamilton. I don't really love musicals. At the end of Hamilton, there's this, there's this, there's this character named Eliza. And uh, she's, the, she's the middle uh, daughter that's married to Hamilton. And a uh, beautiful song, I put myself back in the me- memories. How's it go? I stop wasting time on tears. I live another 50 years. It's not enough. Eliza. And goes on. And... Uh, and she goes, if only we had more time. And, uh, and she looks off over your shoulder to the fourth wall, and she does this gasp. This is how the whole play ends, Eliza. She sings the song. She has this gasp. And there's this look on her face like, <gasps> and then it just closes. I mean, it's a look. It's a look that you remember. It's like a look of terror and joy and excitement and wonder, and you're not exactly sure how to read and interpret the look on her face, but it's something. There's something that strikes her face. And, and so what you see um, with these shepherds is, is when we're reading this passage, is we don't get to see the face of God, but we still see the face of God because it reflects off the shepherd's face. That, that the shepherds are out in the fields with their flock, minding their business, and that while they're not chasing God, God is chasing them. And God meets them in an angel, with an angel, but not only an angel, an entire company of heavenly hosts. That just because there's one audience of shepherds that are seeing Jesus doesn't mean that they're the only audience. There's a whole unseen audience that is all having a worship service over what's going on. And we don't see God's face or the glory of God, but we see their face. And on their countenance, you see this terror that's mixed with fear that is soon turned to great joy because of what they see. And, and so it's, it's the shepherds, ultimately, the reflection of the, of the glory of God on the countenance of the shepherds um, that reminds us that although we're sometimes sheep astray, that we're never abandoned and that we're never alone and that our, our faith isn't from running away from fear and going to buy and keep and make peace, but that, that faith comes because peace is resting on us because of Jesus that they are able to look into the face of God, and in the face of God, they see the grace of God. And they hear these words, that peace, that peace is coming through grace. Peace is coming through grace. So join with me in this passage, and, and this is what it says um, in, verse, uh, in verse 8, Luke chapter 2. It says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. There were two things in the book of Ezekiel that uh, God had indicted God's people about in calling the people of God um, false shepherds or, or, um, or wolves disguised as shepherds. And there were two things that shepherds were supposed to do that the Israelites just didn't do. Uh, one is that instead of feeding their sheep, they fed themselves. And two is um, 
is that although they did have their eyes on the flock in front of them, they forgot about the flock that strayed. And so what makes a shepherd a shepherd is not only that the shepherd feeds the sheep, but the, the shepherd checks on the sheep. It's not the main point of the message today, but um, who is it that's not in the room that the good shepherd might be tapping you on the shoulder to check on for this holiday season? A lot of times with mental health stuff, the shiniest smile is not always the greatest portrayal of actual peace. And oftentimes when we, when we lose people to mental health trauma or we lose people to substance abuse or we even lose people to suicide, and we think about the last time they saw them, it, it wasn't that they didn't have a smile on their face because they did. And most of the time as we reflect on, on some of those losses, we think, I wish I just would have went and checked on them. And so it's just a simple message today, but who is it that's here that you should check on? But even more importantly than that, usually the people that need checked on the most are not here. And we are God's flock. We are also God's under shepherds. And who could we be checking on this in this season? Verse 9 says, An angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. And then verse 13, a spontaneous worship service erupts between the shepherds and the angels and the heavenly hosts as heaven is split open, the unseen is seen. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appears with the angel praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So a quick word study here, the word peace, you may have heard in Christmas Advent sermons before, is much more than the lack of violence. Peace is the presence of Jesus. Peace is not just um, people not fighting. Peace is brokenness being made whole, is the complete shalom of heaven, is the wholeness of your heart and mine. And, and favor is not favoritism. Favor doesn't mean that he likes some people more than other people because James says that we shouldn't have favorites. So if he's asking us to not have favorites, he clearly doesn't have favorites either. Favor is just another word for grace. Favor is looking at a beautiful diamond and seeing its beauty and choosing it and selecting it. But here's the difference between a diamond and us is that all the diamond is worthy of being selected, we are not. And so favor is, is undeserved delight. Peace, peace in heaven is a... Is a indestructible, indestructible shalom or wholeness, and grace from heaven is an undeserved delight. It's like my kids when they go to uh, Goodwill, you know, sometimes they'll pick toys and I'm like trying to convince them to not pick that toy because it's broken and smelly and probably has COVID all over it or something like that. And they pick it anyways, uh, just because something inside of their heart is just settled on having favor on that thing. And that's exactly what what God has to us. And so ultimately, maybe the more colloquial, cultural way to talk about this verse in verse 14 is that your wholeness is coming through your chosenness. That your wholeness, ultimately your peace, the peace that God has put on you that you don't need to buy, steal, cheat, or grab, the peace that God, is, that God has on you is indestructible. It is not made of bubble baths and boundaries and boats out on the lake. It is made in prisons and in waves and in crosses. You have an indestructible peace that lives in you that's waiting to get out. And, and it's not coming to you because of, of counseling. And I don't have any, I love counseling. I think that's part of the process, right? Not coming to you because of counseling ultimately. This is a resource, not the source. It's not coming to you out of 
you know, even great journal rhythms or, or, or some other type of, of practice, of spiritual practice or discipline that you have, it's coming because he chose you, because he picked you, and so your peace is, is living inside you. Let me, let me share um, this passage in, in Romans chapter 5, what, what Paul says in the gospel about peace. He says, therefore, past tense, because you've been justified, we did a study in Romans in the beginning of the year, justified means being joined with Jesus, his his family, his suffering, his, his joy, all the characteristics of Jesus were all joined into a prenuptial agreement with him. And we married him, and he got all of our sin. He canceled it, left it in the ground, and resurrected. And so in our oneness with Jesus and one another, we are now justified that he got all of our stuff, and, and we got all of his stuff. And through faith, one of the things that we got out of that deal is peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we don't need a new cultural guru to tell us how to be more calm. We don't need a candle. The peace that we need is in us because Christ is in us. We have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And so this is what I get the picture of, that peace peace, peace is not the acquisition of something shiny. It's not the acquisition of something sure or stable or, or, or something that's clear to us. Peace in the spiritual sense is something that's inside of us and that the, that the worries of the world and, and our passageway through our, 90, you know, our nine decades down here on this earth, the Lord providing, is this whittling away through the Lord's hands to, to remove all of the things that compete with our peace because the peace is inside us. And this is how it says it in the rest of this verse. And we boast in the hope of glory of God. Like we get a glimpse of perfect peace, a perfect shalom that Oliver is being formed for in the future. Not only so, because we have this hope, we know that with that hope in front of us, that suffering is producing perseverance. Perseverance is producing character and character hope. This is not a flaky peace. This is, a, this is indistinguishable, indestructible peace that's given through chosenness. His peace is in you, in, in, you know, your peace is in his hands, and his hands are forming peace in you today, and there's nothing that you can do about it because you've been chosen, because you have favor on your life and because it rests on you. So uh, my wife um, used to uh, work as a nurse. Um, uh, in the first couple years of our marriage, I was doing student teaching, and she was working on Five West and orthopedics. Orthopedics is the bone stuff. And so there's a lot of pain in the bone stuff, which means that there's a lot of people that are hurting and crying in the bone stuff, and there's a lot of people that are addicted to drugs, and they just want to go over there and get meds for the bone stuff. Okay, and so um, bless her heart, she's like 21 years old, and I don't even know how we're even surviving society, sending these 21-year-old people to basically uh, the, the front lines of, 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 um, of hospital care in the middle of the night. is the third, uh, third shift that she worked. Half of it was she was pregnant in, on Five West, this little place called Five West, and uh, some of the toughest places make the best medical professionals. Some of the toughest places make the best nurses. And I always remember uh, Brenda uh, was up there, and I used to bring Rose up there, and she, she got on me. She used to kind of shake me down, you know, to make sure that I wasn't like a flaky husband. And that's pretty good. They should do that, you know, to make sure that I'm not just one of these jerks, you know, for Kyra because they loved Kyra. And so they were like kind of weeding me out and filtering me through. And they're getting on me because I called her boo-boo bear. And they're like, sir, I don't think you want to call her boo-boo bear. Like, they were like, that's probably not the right nickname. I don't think you know what that means. Uh, I used to, I was cracking up this one time. They, um, this poor woman came in and had a baby, uh, obviously not on that floor, on another floor, and named it Cephilus. But when you wrote it out, they were just like, Cephilus. And they were like, I don't think you want to name, name this baby Cephilus, you know. 
And so um, met, a lot of, met, met a lot of great characters, met, met a lot of great characters on Five Wests, and, uh, and uh, there was a lot of great work that was happening, you know, in, in the medical. This is in South Bend, Indiana. Um, if God shows up with an angelic visitation and it's 10 a.m. on Sunday, it's one thing. If he shows up on Five Wests, that's a whole nother thing. If he's showing up, you know, in, um, in Jerusalem, in the middle of the temple, because of some great worship leader that came in and a great sacrifice that was offered and a great priest that gave a great, gave a great speech, that has certain context and terms by which God has entered the picture. But if he's entering in on the flocks where the shepherds are near the fields nearby, it says a whole nother thing. It says that if God is in five wests or if he's in the fields, he could be anywhere. And if he's anywhere, he could be everywhere. So here's the reality about being a sheep in this world. The reason why we struggle with an epidemic of anxiety is not because of North Korea. If you go back through your journal, it's because you're afraid that the people that you love don't love you as much as you love them. And it's because, in some sense of the word, down deep down in your spirit, you know you're part of the small group and you're on the text chain, but you don't really feel like you belong as much as everybody else. If you were to be honest with yourself, because you're a sheep and not a shepherd, we're not afraid, really, of the global economic crisis so much as we're afraid of simple things like abandonment, inadequacy, and loneliness. And so this is why it's good news to us that God shows up not just in the middle of a church service. He shows up in the fields, far out where the shepherds are near their flocks, being faithful where they're supposed to be faithful, because what it says to us is God's not far, he's near. That he's, he's, he could be anywhere, and therefore he is everywhere. And, and that the deepest places, if we were to confront the dark terror, I mean, here's the thing that people that struggle with anxiety know that's actually true, is that life is terrifying. Like, in my opinion, sometimes when I think about people with anxiety, they're just paying attention. The rest of us are just inebriated with ignorance, they're paying attention. Have you ever looked out, right, to the ends of the galaxies and wonder what the heck is out there? The depths of the ocean, even the greatest marine people, right, don't know the bottom of this thing. And after that, like, what's after all this? What's at the end of all this? Like, I think the shepherds, when they see heaven and earth, like, open up and they see beyond the veil, like, and they have some trepidation, I think they're actually realists. I don't know if they're anxious. I think they're just paying attention, and I think that's why, in, in not in running from fear, but in, in resting and in trusting that in these places of, 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 of deep concern, like if we were really real with ourselves, the fear of abandonment, the fear of I'm not enough, the fear of on my own, the fear of I don't belong like others belong, that ultimately is, is, is the heart of the anxiety, not the global economic crisis around us. And therefore, the good news of the gospel is not I'm going to come fix it all. It's I'm coming to be near you. Like as a sheep, the good news that you need today is not it's all going to work out. It's that I'm near you through it all because you're a sheep and not a shepherd. And that's what it, exactly what it must mean to us, right? If the, if the shepherds are out on their flocks nearby and God meets them in that contest is that God could be anywhere and therefore he's everywhere and he's so close to you, he's closer than your skin. And so the angels represent in the scene realm of what the countenance of the shepherds see, the angels represent what is unseen, what is unseen, the audience of, of the nativity beyond the veil of in the unknown and things that we can't see. 
and they, and they give this worship song again, and I'm going to read it one more time. They interpret what we can't interpret on Eliza's face on the shepherd's face. And they, they interpret it for us, and this is how it's interpreted. I'll read it one more time as our root verse that we might meditate on. But suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared to the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. The high places are being revealed in the lowest possible socioeconomic status. The highest places of heaven are revealed in the dirt with the shepherds and the smelly sheep. And this is the message that on earth, peace, peace is, is not a wage that is earned. Peace is a gift that rests. It is a gift that chases you. As you are chasing peace in all the different hustle bustle of your day, peace is chasing you. So I've got the four kiddos, right? And um, this is the thing that you figure out with the four kiddos is that they're born different. Every single one of them are born, obviously the fingerprints and the DNA and everything's different, but they're born with different gifts. Stuff as a parent, this is a beautiful thing. One of the best things I think about being a parent, stuff that you struggled with and couldn't figure out till you're, you know, 35, they're born with, which is a beautiful thing. It's just like a beautiful thing that reminds you of the grace of God. But my dear daughter Rose, you know, she's uh, on the front row and might have to give her Starbucks for bringing up in a sermon today. Um, she was born a leader. She's just, she just, she's born knowing where we should be going. She's born with good direction. She's born with discernment. She's just like older than her age. And she was born that way. She used to sit there in this little Elmo chair watching Elmo on Sesame Street. And she'd look over her shoulder and snap her fingers like this and go, Mama, cookie treat, cookie treat. And she brings life to places that she's at. And she has stability. And, she, and she, will, she will cause things that are kind of like confusing and chaotic. And she will bring them into kind of alignment. And she's just born with that. Leo is just a heart of gold. I have, I have to work on, like some of us, connecting to my heart, right? He's born, he lives there. He used to come up to his mom when Alec was in Kyra's belly and just be like, Mom, I want to give you a circle hug. And he'd go up like this and just hug her belly like this. I'm just going to give you a circle hug. He's a, he's a good man. Like, Leo's a good man. And he was, he was born with this heart that sees the outsider. He's born with this heart of, like, knowing that you can cry and have courage at the same time. Like, he's, he's, he's not... You know, like somebody that's uh, exuding some kind of a confidence that he doesn't normally have. He's just confident in his, own, in his own skin, and I admire that. And, and Alec is hilarious, and he calls out little lines out of Home Alone 1 that I never realized, and it makes me laugh. He's like, no, today, tomorrow, you egghead. He just says little lines from Home Alone, and somehow he says it. I'm just like, that's really, really funny. Um, and, and Ollie has joy. We did a little, we did a little uh, charades thing for Christmas, and, and uh, he was doing charades for Christmas, and he went like this. And he's only seen the movie Elf one time, but he did that little escalator thing and got us all laughing. And there's just gifts, right, that, that the kids have. And so this is, right, this is what my point in all this is that, you know, Galatians says that the fruit of the Spirit is peace, that peace is a fruit. And so some of us obviously are thinking like, yeah, I get it. Like I have peace, but I don't feel it. Like that's the point. It's like I'm not asking about my position. I'm asking about my emotion. And why is it that, that when Jesus is telling me I have peace, everything in my emotion, in my head, in my world seems like it, that's it, the opposite, right? And so here, here's, here's how, how we could think about this. Like if peace is a fruit of the Spirit, then peace is something that's either nurtured or neglected in our life. I heard this quote, the, one of the best, the best gifts that you get on Christmas are not things that you put on, it's things that bring things out of you. Like the thing on Christmas is like, yeah, I have another Eddie Bauer vest, you know, and I'm super excited about, you know, the next time I'm going to wear that to the mall. But the better gift is the guitar, because the guitar forces you 
to come in touch with something and learn something and to be inspired and to be practiced and to be moved. And so when we think about the gifts of the Spirit or the fruits of the Spirit, right, these, these fruits of the Spirit that are inside of us, the best gifts are practiced. The best gifts are given to you, and it brings something up out of you. And so the fruit of the Spirit, your position of peace is indestructible and unchangeable, and there's nothing you can do or say about it because it's chosen by grace and by favor. But the fruit of the Spirit needs to get worked on. That you're learning things today and learning things tomorrow about sometimes peace looks like slowing down and sometimes it looks like speeding up. And sometimes peace looks like stopping and quitting and sometimes it looks like persevering. And he loves you enough to give you a gift that you need to work on, to nurture up inside of you because that's what spiritual partnership has looked like. But here's the point, though. The point is is that peace in Jesus is your gift. You were born with it. The same way as Rose and Leo and Alec and Ali and myself are all born with different physical and emotional or whatever gifts, the spiritual gift of the Spirit is peace. And when you were born in Jesus, you have all of it. That is your default mode. And that is why the perseverance of the Spirit will not rest until you are resting in peace. It is working on you and shaping you and forming you because peace It's not something to be bought or stolen. Peace is something you have in him. So I'll close with this last part of the passage. As as the shepherds go from hearing to seeing, from catching the rumor of Bethlehem to going and visiting it and seeing it for themselves in verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. One of the best advice I've ever had somebody give to me if, I'm ever in a place of doubt or, you know, struggling with faith or in deconstruction or whatever it may be. It's like, yeah, I know there's a lot of things you can't believe in right now. Like you might not believe in pastors or non-denominational churches. You might not believe in a lot of different things, but you are responsible to respond to what you do believe in. Like today, you do believe in something. You have heard something and you are commanded and called to go towards that something. And so the, the process of faith within the Bible <clears throat> is never hearing it and seeing it all at once. It's hearing something and then going to see, see about it yourself. And you, you are responsible. Like if you're not, you're not hearing all of it all at once, you're not seeing it all at once, but whatever it is that God has called you to do to take your next step, you are accountable to that. We are all accountable as sheep to take our next step towards Bethlehem or towards wherever it is that God is calling us to, to be. And so Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, and they saw it for themselves. Verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed. And the shepherds said to them, what the shepherds had said to them, verse 19, but Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen were just as they had been told. And so here's, here's, here's the reality that I'm dealing with and contending with today, you know, maybe a little bit different than, than people in the room, is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a shepherd, I'm a pastor of this church, but I'm still just a sheep. And um, I'm waking up, I just want to let you know, I'm waking up this morning and every single morning, because I'm a sheep, I am prone to anxiousness. I'm worried. And I, want, I need to be as transparent as I can with you about that. Like, I'm worried about my family, I'm worried if I'm parenting them the right way. Like, I can choose whether or not I acknowledge that or not, and I can barrel through that, or I can wallow in that, but it's just a fact. I'm a sheep, and the further I am away from Jesus, the more I'm going to be anxious. It doesn't make me stupid. I'm just needy, 
and I'm worried about our church. I mean, is there anything to really be worried about? I mean, God has been so good to our church, and there's so many beautiful people and beautiful things that are going on, and people are going to Vietnam, and we're going to take communion, and God's in control, and he's doing things today that he hasn't done yesterday, and Jesus is still alive, and like, but I'm still worried because I'm a sheep, and I'm worried about, you know, the future, and I'm worried about, um, I'm worried about my neighbors and whether or not I'm let, letting them down. Am I sharing the gospel? You know, am I being, you know, thoughtful and mindful of, of what God is doing in, in and through me? And I'm thankful as a sheep among other sheep in this room that the good promise, right, of the great shepherd is not that he fixes it all, but that he's near us, that he's not far off and that he's near and that he's come close to us by grace and that peace is not something that I've got to go grab hold of and chase because peace lives in me and peace lives in you. And so the peace of Jesus, it says in verse 14, the glory of God, if you could sum up the essence, right, of Nike, it would just say, just do it. And if you could sum up the essence of Michelangelo's painting in the Sistine Chapel, who knows what it would say, you know, beauty and sorrow and joy all mixed together, right? But if you were to sum up the essence of heaven, it's this, the glory of God came down to the lowest place in the manger and says this, peace to those whom his favor rests. It says that he's putting it all back together again by his hands and by his grace, and you can't do anything about it. The essence of God's face, to see the face of God is to see the grace of God, that God sent his one and only son, that he would go and spend his life as a ransom for many, that he would draw all people unto himself that would come to him by faith, and that he's drawing us by grace that we might draw near to him by faith. And as a sheep, that is really, really good news for us in this Christmas season. So today we're going to respond uh, by taking communion, and uh, I'll invite the band to come forward and, um, and the prayer team to come forward as well. And um, it kind of dawned on me late as I was driving to uh, church this morning um, that um, the, very, um, the very same place where the shepherds were being drawn to come and gather around and witness heaven opening up in Jesus in the birth of, of God's Son was the place that the sheep were supposed to be eating. Like, in other words, mental health is good theology. It's to chew on the thoughts of God. Bethlehem means the house of bread, and, and that ultimately the picture that I can't get out of my head is the fact that the very coming attraction that all of these shepherds are supposed to come and see is the place where the sheep are supposed to eat. And so somebody's going to spend $7 million this Super Bowl to get your attention because your attention is valuable. And it doesn't really matter how many Bible studies you've been going to if the thought that, that is in your head is not occupied by peace, you need a new thought. And so what does it practically look like to not just sit in the position of peace but walk in peace is to meditate on the manger. It's to feast your thoughts and your heart and your mind and your soul as a sheep to say, I don't, I don't know all the surroundings of the field, but I do know where the shepherd is. And I'm putting my eyes on the shepherd in the season. That's what mental health looks like. That's what peace in a chaotic world looks like is choices, the choice to meditate on any other thing but choosing to meditate on Jesus, to choose, choosing to med- meditate that he is near to you, he is close to you. If he's showing, off, showing up in the, in the fields far off, not in the church service, it means he's everywhere, right where you are, right where you're working, because Jesus is Emmanuel and he's with us. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. 
For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. 